We're in the last message of our Titus series, uh, the DNA of a, of a healthy church. Um, Paul looked at the people in Crete, the believers in Crete, and he did not see a healthy church. He saw a very sick, corrupted group of believers that were on this island where all kinds of stuff was going on, and he sent Titus there to try to fix it. Because Paul couldn't be everywhere at the same time. So tag Titus, you're it, you've got to go, and you've got to set things in order. So this morning I titled this message to transform people. Transform, two weeks ago it was culture, but this morning is communities. It's communities. And again, just a quick summary of Titus. The first chapter was about new leadership. Remember Titus said elders should be this because the corrupt leaders that are there now are like this over here. And, and Titus, you have, to, you have to silence them and put good leadership in place. And that good leadership would teach the people and they would have new households of faithfulness. Their families, while looking very similar to other families within the community, would actually be very different. And they would begin, those transformed households would begin to transform the community, and create a new humanity. So God is in the business of redeeming, of redeeming culture, of redeeming actually really all of creation, right? God's in the business of redeeming all of creation, and he's doing it through us. I mean, we're all he has, his people, yeah, he's got, you know, the universe and the stars and create, you know, the, the planet and all that kind of stuff, beautiful mountains and whatever. But God is in the process of redeeming, first through his son, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but then through the power of his son and the Holy Spirit in our lives, he's busy redeeming people and redeeming creation. So when we talk about new households and new humanity, it's really nothing new to God. It's something that God's been doing for a couple thousand years. Actually, he started it, you know, way back when, uh, but it didn't go so well for a long time. And even since the resurrection, it hasn't gone all that great at times. I, th- I think that it would be, uh, we would all be happier if redemption went along a little more quickly, but it is what it is because this is how God's planned it. He planned to redeem creation through his son and then through his son's followers. A couple of weeks ago, I read this slide to you. Paul wants kingdom people. So let's change this slide a little bit. And it's not going to change up there, so you've got to change it in your head. You ready? So God wants kingdom people to transform communities by living in them and engaging them while following a totally different God and a totally different set of values. I mean, that's our challenge. That's our challenge. To follow a different God than the culture is following. Not to disconnect from culture and be in our own little enclaves or or have culture wars against the people who are lost so that they get alienated by the church, but to be engaged in the culture. But while being engaged, we follow a different God and we live by a different set of values. And that transforms people. So let's look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 1. And let's read through here. This, this new community 
of believers that transforms, or this new household of believers that will transform one household at a time, a new community, they're being, it's being transformed by the church. So when I say the church, the church means discover hope when they get together. It means the Salvation Army group when they get together. It means us when we get together. The church means all those who believe to have faith in Jesus Christ and have been transformed by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So wherever Jesus' followers get together, there the church is working. It doesn't have to be a, 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 a five, what, is, what are we, 501 C3? Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, it's not a fi- it doesn't have to be that. It's just followers of Jesus who get together. That's how God is transforming communities. So Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says to Titus, remind the people. So I'm going to remind you this morning, okay? Are you ready to be reminded? Do you need to be reminded? Somebody said yes. Amen. Thank you. We all need to be reminded. The reason why we're having communion this morning, in remembrance, in remindering, right, of Jesus and what he did. So remind the people to be what? To be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one, but to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now that's kind of the American culture, right? It's not. Now newsflash, it may be in our heads the culture we would like to project right, onto our great land, but that's not the culture that we live in. That's not the culture anymore that is being encouraged by any of the people that are speaking out to to broad cross-sections of our country. That's not the culture we live in. We're, we're, We're not subject to rulers and authorities. When we're around a ruler or authority, we got to get out our cell phone, right? And we've got to record everything. Everything that you say and do to me, right? If we're going to go into a business, we, we have to have a, 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 some kind of a hidden camera, right, to record everything that's done and said. We're not subject to anybody. We're subject to the personal and individual rights that we have, right? As red-blooded Americans, we have rights. We're subject to ourselves. And if it's not right to us, then we're going to stand up against it. We're going to speak out against it, Right? So we're not subject to rulers and authorities. We're not necessarily obedient. Man, you could look on YouTube. You could look on the nightly news, right? You could look on whatever news uh, uh, network you watch. It doesn't matter. You see these videos, right? These, these real-life videos of people confronting other people. It doesn't matter the group. It's always just two different groups, And it's highlighted over and over, driving wedges and divisions between groups in our society. And if you could drive a big enough wedge and a big enough division and cast the other group in a bad enough light, your group actually can gain some power. So there's not not division, there's there's not unity, there's division and polarization. But that's part of our culture. It's actually a virtue in our culture, right? It's a virtue, to our culture. Just like in Crete, lying when it benefited you was a virtue. It was okay. And not too long, it's in fact we're kind of there, in our culture it's becoming the same thing. 
It's just when it, when it fits us, we just have to tell the truth as we see it, right? I mean, it's true to me. And it benefits me when I, when I tell you this version of my truth. So, so none of this, so we need to be reminded because none of this in this first sentence of chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 is the first sentence. None of this is the way our current culture is. So we would have to be, remind the people to be cross-cultural. Wait, wait, counter-cultural. Counter-cultural. But what if everybody was subject to rulers and authorities? For some reason, here's how I think it. I'm assuming you're going to think that. Well, does that mean to always be subject? Like whatever they say that I'm supposed to do? So if the, if the government tells me to do something that's wrong, I'm just supposed to do it? Well, of course not. But there's a lot of other scripture that explains that. So we're not reading all the other scriptures. We're just reading this one, right? So where it says, you know, don't go faster than this speed or here's how, many, how, ma- how much you should pay in taxes or this is the percent of tax on your gasoline or wh- whatever it is. We're subject to the rules and the regulations and the laws of the land, right? Except for, except for when they take us counter to the heart of Jesus, and then we follow the heart of Jesus as respectfully and submissively as we can. We follow the heart of Jesus. We don't just, we're not just conformed, right, to the pattern of this world. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we live in the world and we seek the common good, but we want to live by a different set of values than the world lives by. And here, Paul is telling Titus, remind the people. Don't slander anybody. Be peaceable. Be considerate. And how about this last one? Always to be gentle toward everyone. Oh, that's weakness. That's weakness. You're going to get trounced. Right? It's the upside-down gospel. That's why that picture that I showed you a couple weeks ago about this is what it looks like when God becomes a king. Always be gentle to everyone. Here's verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by, look what it says, all kinds, all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Man, that sounds kind of like our culture, doesn't it? I mean, that's our culture right there. Foolish, disobedient, a little renegade, a little independent, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures? Well, yeah, right? From substances to things to you name it, vices. That's our culture. Living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Look at the... um, Look at the vitriol in the culture, right? The vitriol, the the hatred, the polarization, the venom that goes out. That's that's our culture. And the the better you can spew that venom out to somebody and poison them, the better off you're going to be and the quicker you're going to rise. But that's our culture. But we're not supposed to be like our culture. And Paul says, at one time we too were that way. At one time. When? When were we that way? 
well, before something happened. And now in verses 4 through 7, there's this, like, there's this beautiful oasis of spirituality in this last chapter. Four, four through seven is poetry by Paul. And he, and he writes this, this short poem about what happens to people when God changes them. Look at verse four. But, I mean, cue the harps. I mean, beautiful music comes in at this point, right? But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Reminds me of the verse that John read. With the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. When God in the flesh appeared. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. What happened? What happened? He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So there's this picture. Now, um, what was the last line of that song? Faultless I stand before the throne. Our identity is found in who God says we are. Man, you're a good for nothing. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you do anything right? You're going to be stupid all your life and on and on and on. People here, right? Well, what does God have to say about us? What does God have to say? How does God define who we are? Because who we are is who God says we are. So when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because we were righteous, but because of his mercy. And here's how he did it. He saved us through the washing of two things, rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, you wanted to say he saved us by us placing our faith in Jesus. Well, it doesn't say that here. In fact, I'm not sure. I I don't think it has faith anywhere in these two verses, these four verses. He saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewal. We're, we're reborn. We're born again. And we're made new. So it's like we're, we're born as his child and we're made new. We're different. We're not what we were before. And, and Paul, what Paul is getting to in this passage is this is how you live a different life. By knowing who you are. And by embracing who you are, and by paying attention to who you are, who God says you are, and by focusing on that, and looking in that mirror, looking in the mirror of who God says I am, that will change me. That will take me from the corruption that these false teachers have taught me, and my, my uh, alignment with society's values, and it will change me. What will change me? By remembering who God says I am. Not who I say I am, or who my parents say I am, or who my, my co-workers say I am, or my society says I am, but who God says I am. There's this washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 6, whom, whom, it's a person, not an it, whom he poured out on us. Who, what's that? He, pour, he pours out the Holy Spirit on us. And then look at the next word. Generously. Generously. So you're in the restaurant and you get the thing back with your credit card and you put it back in your wallet and you look and you know it's, well, I don't know how much you spend at a restaurant. I was just going to say it's $21. But maybe for you it's like $85, right? And you're thinking about the tip. 
And all of a sudden, your heart becomes three sizes too small. And you're the Grinch that stole the tip, that stole Christmas, right? So generously, right? Or, or you're the type of person who can't wait to get that thing back. And you're, you're saying, how can I be generous to this server? How can I bless this server? They did, they did a great job for me today. He poured, he poured this out, this Holy Spirit, he poured out on us generously, not stingily and not in measured way. He just dumped it out. There's a whole, there's a whole back, there's a whole back uh, context to this passage. You have to go back to Ezekiel. You have to go back to Joel, some of the Old Testament prophets. What was usually poured out in the Old Testament? Do you remember? What's that? Blood. Somebody, would somebody say oil? Okay. Um, how about God's wrath? Right? The wrath of God is being poured out, right? So as the readers were, were likely seeing the, seeing the contrast that Paul is making about God pouring something out, but he's pouring out the Holy Spirit generously, like it said in Joel, that the Spirit would be poured out on all people. And throughout the, the prophets, they talked about the Holy Spirit. They talked about God coming and living in us, not just with us, but in us. He poured out generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, if you look back at verse 4, it said God our Savior. And now in verse 6, it says Jesus Christ our Savior. That's just a little theological aside that Jesus is the same as God, right? Jesus is divine. There's divinity going on here. Verse 7, so that. Now, why did God do this? Why did he have the Holy Spirit wash us through rebirth and renewal and, and, and that he poured out generously through Christ. Why? Verse 7. So that, having been justified by his grace, there you go, that's who we are in Christ. We're justified by his grace, by his mercy, not by righteous things we've done. We might become heirs. Heirs. Having what? The hope of eternal life. Not the I hope so, but the, the hope, the certain hope, the I know so, of eternal life. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. These four verses give us an identity to cling to, give us, a, give us an identification of who we are because of God through Christ, because of God through the rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. How are you feeling about yourself this morning? Feeling good? Hitting all your goals? Real pleased? Or are there, are there those things that you're just like, you're disappointed in yourself? You're disappointed maybe in a family member. These four verses, I'm going to encourage you to meditate on this week. The more, the more we find ourselves in the reality of what Jesus Christ did for us, the better our life's going to be. The easier it is to walk the path we want to walk. The more we're focused on ourselves and our culture and our failures and our sins and what originally brought us to Christ, 
And the the less we look at who we are in Christ, the harder it's going to be for us to overcome anything in life. Let's go on to verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. What is? Well, that sentence, the sentence that comprises verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. One sentence. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, Titus. Stress them over and over and over. Let the people know who they are in Christ. Let the people know that when they look in the mirror where God is reflecting who he thinks they are back to them, that this is what they look like. They're not failures. They're not sinners. They're not worms. They're not less than. They're faultless, I stand before the throne. I want you to stress these things so that, here's another one of those phrases we talked about a few weeks back, so that, in order that, for the purpose of, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good because these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And the only way that God's people are going to transform their culture and their communities is if they devote themselves to doing what is good because that's what's going to be excellent and profitable for everyone. And then in verse 9, he, he ends it a, a little... Well, let's look at it. Verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Okay, so cue any news program. Cue any talk radio program, right? Is they're filled with foolish controversies and genealogies and, and don't you ever listen to these things? And the one side says this over here. And the other side completely discredits and doesn't take any of that and says this way over here. And you know that there's like stuff in here that could bring these two sides together. And they could actually like work together. And they could actually help each other and then help everybody. It would be excellent and profitable for everybody if there was some unity, if there was some working together. And Paul is saying in the church it has to be there. In the church, we've got these quarrels about genealogies and all this crazy stuff. He's saying, don't do that. So that's why in verse 10, he says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They're self-condemned. And they're the people that Paul was talking about at the end of chapter 1. They're the ones that he wants to replace with the elders that have the qualities that he talks about in the middle of chapter 1. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. His closing words, verse 12, 13, and 14. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. So once I send your replacement, come and spend some time with me, Titus. And do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. They're probably the ones that deliver the letter to Titus. Our people must learn, verse 14, to devote themselves to doing what is good. This is the only way that communities and cultures will be changed. If God's people devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This week, I have four things for you. Four things. 
Number one, meditate on that passage in Titus. I know we're done with Titus. Next week we're starting a, a, our Advent series. We've got four more Sundays before Christmas. Merry Christmas, right? So we're out of Titus, but would you, would you like make a copy or print them out or cut them out or do something? Put them somewhere around your house. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Put them on the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror and say, do what I, does what I see in the mirror, is that what the truth of this passage appears to be? Number two, devote yourselves to doing what is good in every area of your life, in family, in work, community, relationships, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just do what is good. The Spirit will lead you to know what is good. It's not a mystery. Number three, seek unity, not division. So I says, don't have anything to do with divisive people. Because when the Holy Spirit is involved, the Holy Spirit brings people together. It unifies. So do everything you can do to bring people together to reconcile relationships, to be a healer. And then number four, through submission and obedience and peace and gentleness, work for the common good. Work for the common good. Make when, when God's people went into exile, he told them in the Old Testament, when you get to that town, do everything you can to bless that town. Because in blessing that town, you're going to be blessed. And I think God wants us to bless those around us. So again, God wants kingdom people to transform communities by living in them and engaging in them while following a totally different God and living by a completely different set of values. That is our challenge. And again, if God didn't want us here to change anything, he would have just taken us up to heaven. We would have zoomed up to the clouds like Jesus did once we placed our faith in Christ. But that's not why he has us here. So now we're going to share communion together. I'm going to ask you to come forward for that. And on the back table, there is um, gluten-free bread uh, if you need that. Uh, We're going to come. um, I may be, um, what's the word? Uh, irreverently call this the rip and dip method, right? You just rip off a piece of bread and you dip it. Um, And those who are going to be helping to serve are coming forward now. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to come up and when you rip off a piece of bread, remember it represents the body of Christ, which was given for us on the cross. And when you dip it in that juice... Remember that it represents the blood of the final and all-sufficient sacrifice. The sacrifice that takes away all of our sins. If you place your faith in Jesus, what you're going to do in the act of communion actually is what you believed in in order to become a believer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, for the rebirth and the renewal that you've done in our lives. Help us, God, to contemplate and meditate on that. Help us to believe that what you say about us is true. And help us to live differently in the people, in the the communities and with the people you've put in our lives. And help us, God, to seek good for all people to do it in the way that Jesus did, through courage, through bravery, through gentleness and meekness. 
Lord, as we take this bread and this juice, we want to remember what you did, that the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all people and ultimately ended up on the cross. So in taking this bread and juice today, we remember the suffering of Jesus and we appreciate our salvation. In his name we pray, amen.